0: Welcome to Crisis to Come Back, your Western Colorado climate action podcast. Each episode addresses climate change in Western Colorado with a focus on Delta County. This season of Crisis to Come Back, you'll hear interviews and conversations from local voices in our community, government, renowned scientists, and experts in our Western climate. This podcast was made possible in part by the West Elk Community Fund and Citizens for a Healthy Community. I'm your host, Corey Stanton, and in this episode, I talk with North Fork Valley farmer and ag leader, Mark Waltmeyer, who runs Thistle Whistle Farm. Mark has been farming on his property in Hotchkiss, Colorado for almost 19 years. He grows vegetables, specialty crops, herbs, and his newest crop is cider apples. Mark also raises dairy goats, chickens, and ducks, and because we did this interview in person on his farm, you may occasionally get to hear some of his animals. Mark also sits on the board of directors for the Valley Organic Growers Association, aka VOGA, as well as the Colorado Farm and Food Alliance, COFA. I asked Mark to describe what kind of weather conditions he's observed during his time farming in Hotchkiss, Colorado.
1: I think we've always had some extreme weather events, especially wind, uh, but cold and heat. And I've seen it many of the years that I've been here. I think. Maybe the frequency of extreme events has increased, so we have more strange things happen every year than we used to, that we have to figure out how to manage our, our food growing around, and I think the temperatures have increased, and not just the year-round average temperature, but we've had some stretches in the summers that have done more to make it difficult to grow the vegetables I like to grow than I've seen in the past. The The past couple years I've really struggled to grow tomatoes and eggplants and have them produce during the season. It's been hot enough in my fields that the pollen is denatured, I believe, and I haven't been able to, to get them to produce until late in the season. This year's eggplant crop came in in October. It should be getting it from late July through, but even shading it partially uh, in the field this year, I couldn't get the fruit to set and that's new Um, things are burning up a little bit when they didn't used to maybe it's the the length of the heat during the day it stays hotter longer in the day I'm not I'm not entirely sure what it is but I do know that I had beautiful eggplant plants and beautiful tomato plants that produce nothing until late in the season when things cooled down a bit Mm -hmm. and I do have a exposed place here it's it's out in the sun I've had difficulty with fruit sets some previous years, but not to the extent I have these past couple.
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of mitigation are you doing to battle that heat? You mentioned you're doing some overhead coverage.
1: Well, it's more the organization of the farm. If I plant sweet corn on the west side of the eggplant, then the afternoon sun... Once the sweet corn gets tall enough, the afternoon sun will be blocked by the corn so the eggplant doesn't get quite as hot. Um, That's worked previous years. It didn't work this year. I can do things like that. I can change my irrigation practices to try to cool things down. But uh, I've got a drip system and I can't feasibly switch to overhead watering in the afternoons to cool things down. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out other ways of doing it. We're looking at agrivoltaics right now to solve a couple of problems. One is shading for particular crops that don't like the heat. Solar panels raised up high enough so I can work underneath them, I can run a tractor underneath them, I can do all the work that I need to on a farm. The solar panels will provide partial shade for the crops underneath and cool them down a bit. They also give us an opportunity to protect from early frost and late frost because there'll be uh, structures to hang row cover or frost protection on, and even the panels will provide a little bit of protection. Uh, and it will decrease the amount of water that that area uses because of the, the partial shading. We'll have a better chance of being able to grow some of the crops I've grown successfully previously, but the past couple of years I've struggled with. It'll give me a, a new opportunity to, to try to configure things differently. Uh, In addition, it will allow me to access renewable energy, which I haven't been able to access before.
0: Yeah, and so agrivoltaics is not a new thing. I think it's becoming more trendy, if you can use that word in farming, but I did a little bit of research on this and... I don't know how long it's been around, but I was surprised to see that there was years and years of information and data on agrivoltaics. Can you talk a bit about what that is for someone who's never heard of that before?
1: Sure, Uh, it, it isn't particularly new. I think the economics have changed to make it more viable. And I think the advantages of growing underneath the panels have changed. The opportunities that that presents farms like mine has changed. So I think we have a better opportunity to try this out. CSU is interested in helping us with some research so we can figure out what crops and plant it what ways and how work best and how to manage the irrigation and all the other things. But the idea is uh, having a large array of solar panels raised up high enough to allow for farming underneath and spaced so sunlight gets through but uh, not full sun so there'll be partial shading through the day and as the sun moves and the solar panels track the sun different parts of the soil underneath will have different different amounts of sunlight
0: cool and this is a pretty big project for you right yeah and it's
1: not just for me Um, we're working to make this a community project so we intend to have it community owned we intend to return the, the benefits to a large group of people who have similar ambitions to mine. So the panels will be here, the array will be here, the power will be going up to 70 farms like this along with a few farm related businesses that have an an interest in getting renewable power. So we'll be able to work with DMA to get the power to a group of people who can benefit from this.
0: That's great, do you have the 70 farms identified, or is there an opportunity if someone hears this and they think that, that would be really beneficial for my property? Is there a way for them to reach out to you?
1: Uh, we don't have the subscribers to the system identified yet. We'll be recruiting through Voga, and we'll be recruiting uh, low-income participants to try to broaden the benefit of it. So we've had preliminary discussions with other farms and neighbors and businesses that have an interest, but we haven't signed any agreements yet to uh, to make it work. So we're, we're working on the funding and the design and making sure we can do this. And then we'll reach out and, and collect the people who are interested.
0: What does a project like this cost?
1: Good Ruff- question. Roughly. <laughs> uh, I think all together, once it's done, it will be in the neighborhood of two and a half million dollars. All of that will come from grants and loans from various programs. We're working to figure out the economics of projects like this so we can replicate it elsewhere as well. It seems like the opportunity is here, the economics can work out, but there are a lot of road bumps right now that make it difficult to figure out and difficult to to pull together. It seems like the funding is there, but the funding from different sources doesn't always match up well, so we have to figure all those things out and and try to get it all to match up and work. Mm
0: -hmm. Like Tetris it together, basically. Yeah, and this is going mostly through VOGA?
1: Uh, There's a a group of us representing quite a few different organizations in the Valley that are working on it. So it's an ad hoc working group. VOGA is or will be responsible for recruiting the the folks who are interested in participating because we want it to be a a farm-based program. We will be recruiting outside of VOGA as well, and other organizations are participating in various ways both for-profit and non-profit.
0: Do you have any projections on what kind of energy costs people could save? Like, does it at some point equate to the $2.5 million? I mean, probably. Oh, years yeah. and years uh, down it, the road. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, we intend and are convinced that we can produce electricity at a rate less expensive than people are currently paying on their DMEA bills. We intend to return a benefit to particularly low income participants of our projections right now are somewhere between 10 and 20 percent and how we do that is still we're still fighting through all the details of how we're going to do that but we'll that's our intent and i think from our projections we can do that Mm -hmm. i've been talking about sustainability since my college days i mean i remember objecting to the term sustainable agriculture because it's so hard to define. You can't define it, I mean, we'll never know. But as an ambition, it's a good label because if I am going to work towards sustainability, energy use is a big part of it. And right now I get my electricity off of the grid. This gives me the opportunity to to make this farm more sustainable. It does feel like a good step in the right direction.
0: What else is inspiring to you about, uh, you know, again, going back to the title of the podcast crisis to come back, what does come back look like to you?
1: It's been an interesting stretch of time for me. Not always great, but certainly interesting. And I think one of the things that I've recognized through COVID and the disruptions that we've seen is that this type of agriculture can provide communities with security that they currently don't have. And I'm more invested in that than I have been before. I see a place in the community for farms like this that I haven't recognized previously as as much as I do now. I think the energy production is a good part of what we can do and I think combining that with making the adjustments to a changing climate that allow us to continue to grow the things we have grown and want to grow makes this a, a better farm and better serves this community in providing the food that the community wants. I think one thing that COVID showed me is that the community is more supportive of local farms than I thought they were. I've seen a lot more support for this farm and other farms through this last stretch of years than I've seen previously, and that's really gratifying. And I think we can do a better job of doing our part in giving the community what it says it wants.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also worth mentioning that I know you do the Arbol Farmers Market, or you have in years past, and they offer Double Up Bucks, which offers such a huge benefit to folks that may not be able to buy organic.
1: That is a really significant part of my enthusiasm for the arbol market and and other local markets when they can access the double up and snap programs to allow folks who have a hard time affording fresh food allow them to access it more easily everybody wins Um, it's better for me i think right now somewhere around 20 to 30 percent of my sales at the arbol market are snap and double up Which is huge. I mean, that's a much higher percentage than it's been previously. COVID made a big difference there. So knowing that low-income folks can access the food that I grow, and I can sell it at the prices I need to to keep going, pay my staff, and all the rest—that's really significant. That's a big deal, Um, and it is a a great way of feeling like the community is holding together, Mm -hmm. and it's all parts of the community are having access to the things that we all should have access to.
0: Mm -hmm. And with the agrivoltaic project, with the 70 farms involved, I'm guessing that there could be even more opportunity for literal growth of food.
1: Yeah, I think the idea that we can have a more equitable distribution of energy is also a good part of it. It's not just 70 farms, it's Farm businesses and low income farm workers. I think we're going to be pulling that whole community together as part of this project, and that feels good too because everyone will benefit, especially the folks who most need the benefit.
0: Yeah. Is there a time frame for the agrivoltaic project?
1: The funding and the organization of it is what is determining the timing. I think the next deadline for the REAP grant which we're working on right now is the end of the year. And then if we're able to pull all that together, we will know sometime in the spring, whether the REAP funding is there. And then we have to patch together the remaining funding from the various sources that we've been looking at. So best case scenario would be next summer. We could get started. That's optimistic. Feasible, but optimistic. Uh, If things get stretched beyond there, then we'll start as soon as we can pull it all together. It would be nice to get going next year if we could, and uh, we do have a, a chance of being able to pull all that together. I certainly appreciate people knowing about it and getting excited, but we're not ready to sign people up yet until we have the pieces in place where we can actually guarantee them what we offer them.
0: That was Mark Waltmeyer from Thistle Whistle Farm, located in Hotchkiss, Colorado. You've been listening to Crisis to Comeback, your Western Colorado climate action podcast, produced and hosted by me, Corey Stanton, and occasionally co-hosted by Alan Harvey. Crisis to Come Back is a local and regional weekly short form podcast that explores the impacts of climate change and the state of warming in Delta County and Western Colorado and local climate actions taken by individual citizens, businesses and government. Get informed, inspired and empowered by listening to these short episodes and become a part of the solution to addressing our rapidly changing local climate. This podcast was made possible in part by the West Elk Community Fund and Citizens for a Healthy Community. If you have questions, comments, or want to learn more about this podcast, please reach out to us by emailing crisis to comeback at chc4you.org. Thank you for listening.